I was actually in LA last week. I didn't get a chance to go to the store, but I have been into the one uh, in uh, in San Francisco, though. To the new one? The old one. It had the, the old, new old one. one. Yeah. The was, new one is uh, 14 times as large. Is so, it for real? Yeah, it's, monstr- it's monstrous. It's an yeah. old uh, TJ Maxx department store. So California real estate, man. You must be must be dying over there. Well, hey, that's I don't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, I hope you had a great Halloween. And if you're watching this right now, you're gonna see that I'm looking a little rough because I just got back from trick-or-treating and got my costume off and now I'm cutting this episode. But there's nothing like strolling down the block with a solo cup full of bourbon while your kids are out collecting all the candy that you end up while they're asleep. But now we're entering the holiday season. So make sure you start taking notes from some of our sponsors if you're thinking about gifts for others or maybe even for yourself. This podcast is going to be one of those that are going to be for the retailers out there who need to try to find an edge in the marketplace. Our guests provide an interesting angle for how they're satisfying the need of a bourbon market that spans greater than their local geography. The key in really all this is technology and making their brand superior and accessible to the masses. As a tech guy myself, I found it incredibly interesting. As for anything else that's going on, the iTunes reviews keep rolling in, and this week's shout-out goes to Bobby J. Sullivan, who said, I have listened to every episode and see the progression in the audio quality from the first with the fireplace background at Buffalo Trace to the new video podcast. However, their passion has never changed and turned it into an excellent content, including interviews with stars of the bourbon world. I have listened to other bourbon podcasts and found none that exceeded the quality and content of information. Thanks, Bobby. And as a reminder, if you're just now joining us, iTunes only presents the past 99 episodes that are available, but you can catch all the early episodes online at bourbonpursuit.com. With that, enjoy this week's episode. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. 
And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon, the number one podcast of bourbon. Today is a special episode. Kenny here. Uh, Ryan's not here. Well, I'm going solo again. But this is always something that I find comp- super interesting as a, as a bourbon consumer, as somebody who has to purchase things uh, and always wanting to figure out, you know, either where can I find the best deal? Where can I uh, acquire different things that I necessarily can't get in my own store? And I, I put out a few emails and I, I wanted to figure out, you know, who could I have on the show that would be able to talk about this? Because there's been a lot of people that put in social suggestions and they said, let's get some more retailers on the store. And I said, all right, well, I know I'm on a few emailing lists for these different stores. So I'm sure one of these guys would love to come on and talk about, you know, their store, how they run things, the advantages that they have over maybe some other states and everything like that. So uh, with that, I want to introduce the proprietor, the owner, the guy that runs the shop. He said he also cleans the toilets there. Luke Dacus or D- Dacus of Ace Dacus. Spirit. Louis Dacus. Man, see, I'll get it at some point. You got it. You got it. <laughs> of, of Ace Spirit. So, Louis, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, uh, first off, uh, tell everybody first, you know, who is Ace Spirits, where are you guys located, all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ace Spirits is a craft beer and whiskey boutique located in Hopkins, Minnesota. We do a huge amount of business online, uh, but we do a brick and mortar shop. And uh, it's, if you if you check us out on our Google, um, you can visit the store on Google. Uh, you'll see it's sort of like a library of whiskey. That's sort of that's what we specialize in. So before we started recording here, you were telling me that you, you weren't necessarily like always in the whiskey biz or the retailing biz. You were you're actually doing stuff in show biz. So kind of talk about you know your history. Uh, and what led you to where you're doing today? Oh, God, I'm an old guy, so there's a lot of history there. But I uh, started out, I went to school for film, uh, live action film, worked in the film industry doing music videos, uh, commercials, uh, quick stints, a little bit of television, um, art department, which is sets, props, things like that. Um, after the 94 earthquake, I was basically homeless and left the state of California to come back home to Minnesota. Um, in Minnesota, I did a number of things, but basically, um, got into transaction processing, ATMs, credit cards, whatever in the gambling industry, um, took, took the company public, sold the company through a roundabout way, got into the booze business. There was a company that was looking to sell. I was looking to buy, started out a a store called Merwin Liquors, um, which turned into a three, three unit chain, ended up selling that and starting a spirits. Uh, four years ago, which is sort of a an extension of what my final Merwin Liquors store had been. It was really focusing on whiskey, really focusing on craft spirits and selection and online. Um, and that's that's sort of how the store came about. And are you a, just a spirits or a bourbon guy yourself? Like, have, have you come to it over time? Or, I mean, did you, did you, did you always love it or anything like that? Yeah, no, the funny thing is, uh, so when I bought the first store, um, I, I had just turned 30 and I didn't drink at all. Like, not at all. Um, 
And so it so, was. So you were completely sober and you're like, I'll just open a liquor store, right? Yeah, well, it was it was financial. I mean, it was just it seemed like a good business. The guy was looking to sell it was a good selling price. And so it was strictly financial. And um, at, so at that point, I didn't really care if I was selling, you know, um, you know, spinning tops or, or, or liquor, it was an item that was selling and the business made sense. Um, and so, but since then, fortunately or unfortunately, I've, I've sort of dug into the, the shelves and found things I liked and it started out, uh, just like everybody, I think sort of on the sweeter side of the palate and, uh, you know, a lot more beer, a lot more vodka, whatever, and then sort of moved into an appreciation for, um, initially a bourbon. And then, uh, currently I'm, I'm drinking a lot more scotch than I am bourbon, but, um, Oh, that's it. You're kicked off the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but I mean, I like it all and, and I really like it all. And, um, and it, it's funny because when I first bought the shop, my uncle had a restaurant, a really nice restaurant here in town that was closing down. And so he, he said, Hey, if you want anything on the shelves here, just take it that he had open bottles that he had no use for anymore. So I took all of his scotch and he had some really nice scotch and I brought it all home and I wanted to try it all because I hadn't tried any scotch really. And I thought this stuff was terrible. I just could not, it was the worst thing I'd ever tried. I could not drink. I had, you know, 18 year old McAllen and just beautiful whiskeys. And all my friends were like, heck yeah, we'll help you drink this stuff. You know, they all, they all dug into it and loved it. I had, I wanted nothing to do with it. That was when I first started. And then since then, um, I've come around, obviously, and, and uh, you know, my whole house is filled with it. I think I <laughs> now you get you just can't get enough of it, right? It's just everywhere. I mean, fortunately, I'm in the business where people would be concerned. But, um, you know, so, yeah, now, now I drink it. I like it. Um, and not just, not just whiskey, but, you know, I, I love gin. I love, I mean, I can't say I love vodka. Vodka is good on occasion, but. Well, I mean, that's Fred Minnick always says it's the the tasteless, odorless, and colorless spirit that he hates. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't hate it. It it does. It, it serves a purpose. Uh, it's just hard to get excited about. Um, well, you I can always. So. I always mix it with Red Bull if I need to stay up really late, right? So that's <laughs> yeah, that's what I have to do. I'm not a Red Bull fan, but I, I, you know, on ice with a little lime is it does the trick. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Uh, Talk to us a little bit, you know, about your store and like yeah. some of the market you serve just locally. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Minneapolis is a pretty widely spread area. Consists of Minneapolis and St. Paul, sort of obviously the Twin Cities. Um, so we're, we've got this sort of wide net that we cast out, and we get people from, I mean, all over different states actually traveling to us. Um, it's just such a unique store. Uh, so it's it's really a destination shop. Uh, we're, our hours are weird. We're we're in a really hard to find location. If you if you walk in, people aren't sure if it's a bar or if it's a liquor store. It's very dark, um, but that's sort of how we like it, and uh, and it served us really well. And we built a following based on both the things that we stock, the the prices that we sell it at, but then also we have these great events where we'll open up things that no one else is. I mean, we're, we have a Lafroig event coming up next month where we'll be opening up a 30 year and a 27 year and we'll have the carches and stuff that you never see opened up. We, we have a Pappy class where we open up all the Van Winkles, the entire release from each year, you know, our VTAC class where we open up all that stuff. Um, so it's, you know, it, those kind of things is what are what separate us locally from, from everybody else. It's just not happening around here. 
And we actually just got joined by the the second part of our, our show today, which was David Driscoll. So David uh, is now joining us on this on this podcast. And David is the assistant head buyer of KL Wine Merchants that is based out in California. So David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So David, uh, you know, we actually talked to uh, Lewis a little bit, learned about A Spirits, learned about his store, talked a little bit about what KL is, where you're located, uh, and you know the kind of market and the people that you serve. Sure. So KNL is located in uh, three parts of California. We're in downtown San Francisco, just south of Market Street. We are uh, in Silicon Valley in Redwood City, which is where the flagship store is. Then we have a Hollywood store on Vine just by sunset. And um, KNL started kind of in the late 70s by two friends who were doing bulk liquor. And it was when one of our owners, um, I think he read a Playboy magazine about Bordeaux. Yeah, and, and he he got a couple of bottles, and he decided he wanted the future to be Bordeaux because he he fell in love with it. And um, long story short, um, there weren't a lot of people who were bringing in Bordeaux at that time, so they found their own import channels, and that became kind of a model, um, a model of a store that was looking to supplement the kind of regular distribution uh, selections available in each state or in our state specifically. Uh, with uh, wines of their own choosing. And when I started here in 2007, um, I was kind of learning the ropes of how that worked and you know what were the wines that anybody had and then what were the wines that we had specifically that nobody had because we were bringing them in via our own import channels. And so in 2009, they made me the spirits buyer and I said, well, we should be doing the exact same thing. We should go to Scotland. We should go to Kentucky. We should go everywhere in the world that makes spirits and we should try to bring in interesting things that other people aren't. And that kind of became the model. Um, I just basically copied what was already being done on the wine side and just included spirits. So about what year was that? Was that what happening when you said, like, you need to start looking at different spirits to start bringing in, not just, uh, not just being specialties in, in the wine industry? That was about 2009. Now, there was another lady who was here before me named Susan Purnell. She, had, she was kind of a, a um, Brooklady nut. And so she had done some direct work with Brooklady, but, you know, it, it never went past Brooklady. She was just, that was like her one distillery. And, um, and so I said, well, we could do exactly what you did here, but apply it to every distillery and apply it to as many, as many producers as we think we can handle. And that's kind of where it went. So that was about t- maybe eight years ago. So I, I want you each to kind of uh, talk about this and, and how have you seen the, the bourbon market? Now, Lewis, I'll let you go first. Like, how have you seen the bourbon market really have been affected in the, uh, in your area? I mean, has it, has the interest grown a lot just locally, uh, around there? And, you know, what's the good and the bad with that? No question. It's exploded. Um, you know, the good with it is there's a lot of curious people and they're drinking a lot of different, uh, things. There are also a lot of curious people looking for the same things and the frustration, you know, continues with the same allocated items that, you know, no one can get. Um, and you know, it, there are a lot, I guess the the good and the bad is that there are a lot of whiskeys that are being released that are very, very good. And then there's a whole lot more that are being released that aren't very good. And um, just sort of capitalizing on the popularity of, of the spirit. Um, and it's difficult these days to find out, you know, what's what, unless you try it, unless you... I mean, the label doesn't necessarily belie a good whiskey. The pedigree doesn't necessarily belie a good whiskey. The age statements are going away, so it's, you know, can't really rely on that anymore. Um, 
So that's, I think that's the challenge of it. Right. There's tons more interest in the category, obviously. I mean, you can see it growing at a national level and locally it's no different. And, and David, you know, same kind of question to you. And, and is it getting harder to find just everyday whiskeys to keep on the shelf? Oh, it's funny. I had a, an email discussion with a customer earlier today about this. There's no real difficulty in finding values because the same values are always there. The problem has to do with how do you expand your customer base when all of your new customers are all looking for the same thing? And you don't, you don't have more bottles of, of Buffalo Trace Antique Collection to sell them. You have fewer because not only do you have more customers who want them, you have more retailers who have opened up shop or you have bars and restaurants who didn't even know what those things were and now they want their share of the pie. So there's still the exact same amount of bottles that are allocated for California. It's just that now they're being split between 500 retailers instead of 50, which means that my allocation gets cut into a 10th, but yet I have five times the amount of people who want a smaller allocation of bottles. And they're telling me that the only way that they're going to continue to frequent my shop is if I can show them that, you know, I can reward their loyalty, so to speak. And it's impossible. There's just no way to do it. There's no way that you can give everybody who wants a bottle of rare whiskey a bottle of rare whiskey. And so you have to find creative ways to to provide customer service or show customers that they're that their um, that their business is valued that goes outside of just allocated whiskey. And uh, I guess that's another good question. So, Lewis, have you seen uh, you know as as David said the just the the re- not just the retailers or more retailers popping up, but also restaurants uh, being able to like take away some of that allocation? Because I know that uh, I've got a lot of family in Ohio. You can see all kinds of people that talk about it on forums, and they say oh, Ohio is a wasteland of bourbon because nothing ever hits retail; everything goes to uh, to the the restaurants themselves. I mean, is that something that you see pretty regularly as well? No no question. Um, Fortunately, because we're a new company, um, you know, we're only about four years old. I was able to make policies on those items based on my experience in the past. And so um, we just, you know, if people are asking for these, we have a very clear cut policy on how to handle these things that doesn't allow for wiggle room and doesn't allow for, um, you know, it's as fair as I can make it. And we open up bottles and we do things that, you know, to, to try to get people involved. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, it, it, it's exactly what, what was just talked about. The allocations are less. There's more people looking for it. There's liquor stores that are, you know, Hey, I don't even know what this stuff is, but my customers are asking for this. And, you know, sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't, but in the meantime, every once in a while, they'll, you know, they'll get a small allocation and then next year they want it again. And it, it, it just gets tougher and tougher. And, and uh, one thing, you know, David, you had mentioned that you're trying to figure out how do you reward some of those, uh, those loyal customers that you have there that actually bring foot traffic into your store. Like, so what are you guys experimenting with or, or thinking about doing of, of, of you know, everybody that, because don't get me wrong, like, I'm always asking for rare whiskey, right? Because, you know, <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> I'm one of those people, like, don't get me wrong, I am, I am that person, right? So, yeah. like, how, how are you able to, uh, to help some of those people out? Or, like, what are you doing to, to, to satisfy Uh, you know, the greater good, if you will. Well, I mean, the first thing you have to do is you have to, you have to go above and beyond for people in some way. And I think the most difficult task of being somebody whose job it is to make everybody happy, especially when they're looking for you specifically, um, is to, is, is to show them that you're interested in, in helping them. There's a, there's a desire when you're talking about something that nobody can get, 
and an impossible odds to just kind of become, I, I think, frustrated by the whole thing and just be like, oh, God, you know, stop bothering me. But that's the last thing you ever want to do in a customer service position. So, I mean, it could be, um, hey, I can't get you a stag, but I have this great new barrel of Four Roses coming in. I don't have a lot of it, but it's our own private cask. It's also high in proof. I think it's great. I can put that aside for you. I can lead them towards things that are off the beaten path. I can invite them to tastings. Um, I can I can do an event in the store. Sometimes I'll work locally with Hardwater, which is a big bourbon bar in downtown San Francisco on the Embarcadero. I'm friends with Charles Fan, who owns that. Um, Eric Atkins, who's their their director. We will sometimes divert our allocations to Hardwater and have them opened at the bar, so that rather than one guy just taking it all for himself, 25 different guys can get an ounce out of that, you know, and at least wet their whistle if they can't obtain the bottle themselves. So, I mean, it just, it, it comes down to whatever you're willing to do and, and how much work you're willing to put in. And, but going back to the on-premise argument, um, if you're a, if you're a brand owner, you know, you're going to get a lot more out of one bottle going to a bar than you are out of one bottle going to a retailer. Cause you know, that one bottle is going to go to one guy who may or may not keep it. Who may throw it on eBay or some other flipping site and then just keep flipping it. Whereas when you know that you sell a bottle to an on-premise account, which is a bar or restaurant, um, you have a shot of you know possibly twenty or more people getting a taste of that bourbon, and so you can connect with a larger number of consumers than you would via a retailer. And I think that's the hardest advantage today. It's an interesting take, and I you know I don't want to get into the whole flipping scenario because I'm sure we could, we could say that for a whole other episode, right? So there is uh, there is one thing of of you know the real reason why I asked you guys to come on is because you know Ace and K and L are very prominent names. Uh, you know you have very good marketing that goes behind it, and most of that is because you have a great online presence. So what kind of advantage do you think having an online presence really gives you in being a, a, a retailer and uh, you know, I'll, whoever wants to go first can take that one. Go ahead, Lewis. I just talked. So you I, go. I think for us, it's, I mean, it's critical, um, not just for whiskey, but for really everything that we sell. Uh, and, you know, the, um, I mean, from a business standpoint, just having your portfolio online is, is huge. I mean, it's, um, we, I mean, every single day we have people coming in saying, Hey, I was looking for X and you're the first one that popped up on Google. You're the only place I can find this stuff. And perhaps we are the only place that sells it. Perhaps six other shops in the area sell it, uh, but you'd never know unless you called around each to each one and found out. I, I'm not sure. Um, but a lot of the stuff is pretty niche. So I would guess that if, if there are others that sell it, you'd have to make a lot of calls. So for us, just having those items available online and having the Google bots working at it is is huge for us, um, and it's a huge part of our business. Whether it's online or in store, is is having people giving people access to our catalog, what we have, and the prices um, is huge. Yeah, and David, I kind of want you to take that on look at that too, because you know I think in regards of what you all do, it's very unique. Because here being in Kentucky, like there is no online access to catalog. You have no idea what anybody ever gets in, or what they're selling, right. or what's on the shelves. So it's up to you to call or go, or, and uh, you know, and you have to go to nine stores if you want to try to find something you want, right? So you know, what, David, in your opinion, you know, having that catalog online, being able to sell liquor online, like how how has that really been a, a huge impact and or an advantage in your business model? Well, I mean, obviously everything's moving online. So you can either, 
you know, you can either get on board or you can, or you can not. Um, I think it's better to, to keep all your options on the table. Um, obviously our online business is what drives KNL with our website is for better or for worse is the model that a lot of people compare against. So, you know, if people will check our website for pricing, if they're doing business with a distributor, you know, uh, you're going to sell me this much product. Well, what does KNL have it for? KNL has it for this. So, you know, you got to do better. The problem, the um, I mean, I, I I have I have only positive things to say about online business, and I'll just echo what uh, what was already said here um, in, in terms of how it's it's benefited us. It's it's everything to us. Not only because it allows our inventory to be online, but because it allows us to give us um, our own opinions. Right? You know, under each product, you can read about what different people who work at KNL thought about that product. So it not only establishes our company, it establishes the people who work at our company. It allows you to to see what, you know, what I like specifically or what some of my colleagues like. But on top of that, there are boons in terms of um, um, public perception. And, and of course, one of those boons is if you're in the retail business, you know that all 50 states have different distributions. So all 50 states have different prices. So if somebody says, hey, this guy in New York has this whiskey for, you know, $30 cheaper than you, can you match that? Well, no, I can't. Because he's getting some gray market deal from some shady importer in New York who's obviously gray marketing products in through some other channel that's not going through normal distribution. So um, there's a lot of educating that needs to be done to the, I think, to the general public who has no desire to necessarily learn these ins and outs of, of distribution about how things are priced. And then, of course, then there's interstate shipping, which is getting worse. Um, it's getting harder and harder for retailers to, to ship. So you know, it's it's nice to have online pricing and to know what's available, but it also, I think it, it creates a lot of frustration when I get a phone call probably 10 times a day from somebody saying, hey, I want to get this new whiskey. Okay, great. Okay, well, I'm in Michigan. I was like, well, <laughs> I'm not shipping you any whiskey because the state of Michigan will not allow me to. Right. So um, it, it it obviously creates a lot of a lot of business, but it also, I think it, it frustrates a lot of people with its barriers. Absolutely. And so, you know, on the flip side of that, shipping is, is, you know, it's tough because it is between state to state. There are rules to say like who you can ship to and who you can't ship to. However, how has shipping changed your, your business model in being able to reach a, a greater consumer, a greater audience that's out there? Uh, sorry, I'll just, I'll, I'll just touch on this quickly for, for, for KNL, it's everything, especially in state, you know, out of state is trickier, but if you can reach a customer who lives 100 miles away from you, I mean, it's huge, obviously. Yeah, and the same is true for us. We, you know, our, our model is based on shipping, so. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's definitely how you can get, um, you know, especially, you know, when you have a well-known name to it and you're able to get it out and get to more hands, then I think that also, you know, it makes a more prominent name for yourself. It's, it's almost like free advertising, if you will, if you're able to just get your name across the country versus some no-name store that's maybe in the middle of, Atlanta or anywhere else, right? So it's definitely hard to be able to do that. So it's hardly free advertising, but it is advertising. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's yes. true. true. Fees. <laughs> so um, you know, we actually, uh, you know, before we started talking about this, you know, Lewis and I were talking about uh, barrel picks, right? Uh, he's getting ready to do a maker's pick. Um, he's done plenty of knob picks. I know K and L has done lots of picks. You've done uh, uh, lots of things. Uh, Weller one hundred and seven, uh, all those kind of things before. Uh, so the, the one thing that uh, I want to kind of talk about this is, you know, do you see some of these barrel picks like making its way out of your store and out of state? And do you think, uh, you know, how is that helping business at all? Uh, I mean, 
you're going to live and die by the barrel pick at some point. The problem with barrel picks, I mean, I, everything is great about barrel picks. We already know all the positive things. It's a way to, it's a way for people to try things outside the normal, um, the uh, off the beaten path, things that are cast strength, things that they normally wouldn't get to try, various recipes of four roses, blah, blah, blah. Um, the problem with barrel picks is that you, I think, create a consumer that only wants barrel picks. Um, and then you lose kind of track of, of the norm. I mean, I think that's the biggest challenge that the spirits industry is going to face over the next five to 10 years is that they've been convincing everybody to spend the extra money on the limited edition or the single barrel or the rare pick or the one time only pick or the once in a lifetime whiskey. You know, what does that do for four roses yellow label? What does that do for regular Buffalo trace? What does that do for, you know, Jim Beam white label? Um, does anybody, is anybody still going to want to drink those things if they're told that if they wait for the rare or limited single barrel pick, that that's the better move. And, um, as long as you have an interested audience for both, I think it's great. There's people who only want single barrel picks, um, and, you know, regular everyday brands. I don't have any complaints. Um, I just find that, um, the more that I do single barrel picks, the more that I end up getting meta, meta, meta. Um, into, um, you know, what it is people are looking for. Uh, It's hard enough just to get a barrel anymore. Um, You know, with the way that, again, going back to our our conversation about allocations, there's just more people who want barrels. So there's fewer barrels for these distilleries to give us. Um, They're shutting down the programs in in many cases. Right. It's just too much to manage. So it's almost a victim of its own success, as Lewis was just kind of pointing out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Lewis, I'll, I'll put this question to you because, you know, you guys all, I mean, all you, all of you, uh, both of you do barrel picks and don't get me wrong, like stuff's always going to trickle out uh, and it's going to make itself out of state. People are going to get their hands on them. Uh, but, you know, do you think that that has, a, especially if you put your barrel picks to be able to be bought online uh, by the greater masses that are out there. And we all know that, you know, if you get an antique 107 barrel, like it's going to be gone in you know, less than a, less than a, maybe an hour. Right. Yeah, so right. how do you think that, impacts like your your local business people the people that have the foot traffic into the store or anything like that do you think they they kind of like they're kind of like you know like screw these guys man like that's everything's getting shipped out of these you know they just want the money their pockets they don't care about their local customers or anything like that you know how how do you feel about that well first of all we don't get weller 107 barrel picks uh david thank you we don't (laughs) get any, any sazerac barrel picks unfortunately um we just can't get them but um, we uh, we do you know if, if there's we had we had an old scout barrel or a few old scout barrels that came in um, and we do hold things for local customers first before we open it up to the online community um, and there's oh, some nice. things there's some things that we just don't ever release um, they're just in store only and you know the Wellers are are a good example of that Weller 12 whenever we get it in we get so little of it it can't satisfy anything more than in store and so we just keep that in-store only. Yeah, yeah that's, David. That's smart. Um, we have, yeah, we, we, we've taken things off the web sometimes. Um, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll do private outreach. Like if there's guys who I know who have been asking for years, um, I'll kind of reach out to them privately and say, Hey, you know what? I remember two years ago, you asked me for this bottle. Um, I got one. So, you know, I'll put it aside for you. That's one way to deal with it. As, as far as your question in terms of it being frustrating, I don't think I think few people know more than I do what it's like to 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 take criticism from 
a lot of people who are just frustrated about everything that you're doing because the more attention that you drive to whiskey, the more people get mad when that attention takes away from their experience. So if they're used to being able to walk in and get Weller 107 and now they can't get it because we've been telling everybody to get Weller 107, that makes (laughs) some people angry. It's no different than if your favorite bar or restaurant gets hit up on social media and you're used to being able to walk in and and sit down and get a drink whenever you want and all of a sudden you can't even get into the restaurant, you know, because there's too many people who want to go. That's the reality of the Bay Area right now, which is frustrating, I think, in general, because it's so concentrated. I don't know to what extent that that's leaking out of the Bay Area, but I think here a lot of people have just become resigned to it. It's almost like a certain cynicism that people walk around with, oh, if there's anything good, I'll never be able to get it because, you know, there's going to be 500 people in line or I'm going to have to sit at my computer and hit refresh, um, blah, blah, blah. So um, whether that's impacting people negatively beyond um, our market, um, it's possible and it sounds like it is uh, from what Lewis said. But it, it seems to me that most people that are approaching us, whether they're calling from a, from some other market or our, our local, um, most people understand, you know, the, the rules of the game today and are good natured about it. On occasion, you get some ornery, um, unhappy people that, you know, are probably just unhappy generally that you just can't make happy. Um, but for the most part, people get it. You know, they, they call, they're looking for a long shot. You say, Hey, I, I just, you know, this is how we handle it. They understand. Um, on occasion we get, we get an angry email or an angry call, but for the most part, people are pretty good natured about it. I would say that that's, yeah, that that's a hundred percent true, especially over the last few years. I mean, like yeah, yeah. in 2012, it was like people were losing their minds. Yeah, no question. No question. Yeah. yeah. In 2017, I think people have become resigned to the, to the reality of the market. Right. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. In 2017, I think people have become resigned to the, to the reality of the market. Right. 
So one of the things that that's always intrigued me, you know, we like just having the online and the volume and just and being able to do that, you know, around here it's it's pretty typical that a lot of small business owners they want to reward their their customers that bring in the foot traffic and and now that there you guys have the advantage of being able to have an online inventory uh, and being able to ship to certain states depending on that is are you thinking of different ways of saying like oh maybe we can start rewarding people that are buying consistently from us online or something like that as well I'm I'm not <laughs> we, we don't do, I mean, we, you know, my, my business model is pretty straightforward. I'm not looking to dominate the world. We just try to put out a good product at a good price. And, and I try to eliminate as many special circumstances as I can. So I'm, you know, if someone's calling me up and asking me for a favor, I'm usually going to say no. And the only reason that is, is because as I do that for more and more people, more and more people know that I'll make an exception for them and I'll get more and more calls like that. And I don't want to deal with that as much as I like them, as much as great of a customer as they've been, you know, there's people that will say, Hey, I've spent $3,000 with you this year. Well, there's a guy that spent $10,000 and a guy that spent $50,000. And so if, if you follow that logic, it's not going to be a good outcome for you. Um, and so I don't, you know, even for the guy that spends $50,000 a year, I'm not going to slip him a bottle on the side. I'm going to play it the same with everybody. Um, but like David was saying, you know, make them aware of things that are coming in and give them service in other ways. Um, but I find that with a very strict set of rules, um, there's no questioning whether I'm playing favorites to one group or another. There, there's a lot of a lot of people take a lot of umbrage to, you know, hey, I'm the little guy. I don't spend a million dollars at the every year, but I want to get the same access to the stuff as other people. And um, and I believe in that democratic way. Only crazy. There you go. Democratic, right? What about you, David? I think you're 100% right. And I think that's the smart way to do it. The difference with me is that I think a lot of I'm because I'm always plugged into the internet, I pretty much have email wired into my brain at this point. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm half half machine. Yeah. Um, bionic. I, it's just beyond bionic David, right? So. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm getting like, even as I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my inbox. And in the time that we've been talking, I've had 75 new emails come into my email. So, I mean, it just doesn't end, and um, which, is, which is fine. I, I enjoy it, and I enjoy kind of helping people and making people happy. That's definitely what I get out of this. Um, uh, but I agree that to, to create a policy where you're just hooking people up who spend the most money doesn't make any sense. At the same time, it doesn't make any sense to not do something nice for people who spend a lot of money. So you have to do something. But I don't believe that giving away all your best stuff... Uh, to the people who spend the most money is going to do anything for your business model over time. Generally, people who spend a lot of money are, you know, they're, they're living pretty high on the hog as it is. And they don't need that bottle of Pappy to kind of soothe their ego. Whereas the guy who I know buys a lot of, um, you know, just buys a lot of everyday bottles. If I give him a bottle of Pappy, he'll probably be over the moon about it. He'll tell all of his friends. Um, he'll give me a big hug. He'll, he'll probably open it that night with his buddies and, he'll probably text me a photo of it to show me how much fun he's having. Um, and that's equally as rewarding, uh, especially when you're talking about building a customer base of people who want to feel involved because most people just want to feel like they're a part of the team regardless of how much they're spending. And if you can include everybody, I, I think that's the best possible outcome. That's a really good uh, kind of good take on it, you know, because I've got a buddy that lives in Dallas and he goes to specs and it doesn't matter how many points he gets racked up at specs. There's nothing he's ever going to get because 
he's told me that the only people that pull anything out of there are the ones that are like the party planners or the ones that have the company credit card that go and they buy thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of booze every single month. And so those are the ones that always get the, you know, cash on their points for those allocated bottles. Right. So That's he's pretty common. Yeah. So he's, he's pretty upset with the the policy that even specs takes on it only because of, you know, he doesn't get a chance because these are definitely the people that, um, you know, that, you know, they have the business of being able to do it and they don't necessarily uh, care to even have it. They just gift it to somebody or do something else with it. Right. Right. Well, but and but that's the way that the industry works too. And if anybody, you know, hopefully people out there listening kind of understand that that you know, Lewis and I get pappy allocations based on how much rain vodka we buy and how much Buffalo Trace we buy and how much uh, you know Southern Comfort now that we're going to buy. The, how much you buy from any brand determines your allocation. So it's definitely pay to play um, on the allocation side. So there's a lot of you know stores that will just turn that pay to play over to the retail side. It just makes sense. Because that's exactly how it's handled behind the scenes. Right. It's, it's definitely not like you're a more prestigious store, uh, so we're going to give you twice the amount of Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. It has nothing to do with that. It's all dollars and cents. Right. So, absolutely. So I think uh, moving in that sort of direction, I kind of want to talk about you know just the three tier system in general. And um, I mean, I don't know. Feel free to rant or feel free to not say anything, right? But you know, there's a lot of consumers out there that. I have finally, you know, gotten into this hobby and understand uh, how shady the three-tier system can actually be, um, how it hurts retailers, how it hurts, um, you know, the 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 actual producers themselves, uh, and and kind of figuring out like, you know, is there? Do you all think there is a better way of getting, um, you know, products in the hands of consumers or products in your stores or anything like that? I, you know, I don't know that I've ever really questioned it. It's just the way it is. Um, I, you know, I, I've run into, um, I've run into retailers from other locations that have very different laws than us, and I'm envious. But because, you know, they can go into, uh, you know, they can go out to Scotland and bring back bottles with them and sell them on the shelves. They can do whatever they want, sort of a free for all. Um, I've just come to accept the laws as they exist and. I don't know. I've never really thought about that, to be honest with you. Um, it would be nice if it were looser. I, you know, I, I understand that the the structure that I'm I'm forced to play within, and and that's fine. But um, never really considered a better way. I mean, I always look at it like Neo in the Matrix, right? Like you've got this matrix that determines what you can and can't do legally. But if you learn how to manipulate those rules and how to kind of distort them or to play with them. Um, it can give you an advantage over people who who aren't thinking necessarily outside the box. And um, it obviously imposes a lot of limitations. But I think the biggest barrier that the three-tiered system um, provides to consumers is the, I mean, all of the interstate shipping laws are, are 100% based off of that system. Because if you don't understand what distribution is, distribution is just legalized mafia, which is these people <laughs> took a cut during prohibition of booze sales and when alcohol was made legal again the mafia is like well we're not going anywhere so you're going to have to find a way to build us into that system so there has to be a middleman um anyway long story short um um everybody in every state has to take a cut and it's that's the reason why we can't ship to those states is because the people in those states don't want to deal with competition outside of their market they control what the pricing structure is for that state. And because of that, it, it isn't fair. 
it isn't fair that KNL could ship into Michigan where the stores in Michigan have to pay one price and we have to pay a different price. And that 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 price is set by whatever system is set up within that state. So if your if your state distributor charges you twenty dollars for Glenlivet twelve, and my state distributor charges me fifteen, that's not fair. And the fact that I can ship into your market while you're not able to play on the same field as me is absolutely unfair. So that's why um, interstate shipping is not legal because the system itself isn't fair. It's different than all fifty states. And then um, I kind of want to gauge another question about that. You know, like I, I guess who is making these these laws, and you know, why couldn't we have a, a uniform regulated uh, you know, federal ruling across uh, the United States. Um, I, I think it's all up to the states, as far as I understand it. The states get to decide uh, what's distributed and who's distributed. And if let's say that you and I started a bourbon brand and and you wanted to sell in Kentucky, now there are a, a number of large distribution companies that are in all fifty states. So if you signed with one of those companies, you would technically be represented by them in all fifty states. But in each of those fifty states, your whiskey may be priced differently depending on that market. It won't be one standard price. And you have to register the brand and the label and you have to, there's, I mean, with each state, you're going to have to go jump through different hoops. Correct. So, I mean, I guess um, I'm trying to think, you know, how can we move this forward? Right. Because, uh, you know, depending on your state, like Amazon just said they could start shipping wine. Right. So like, that's a, that's another like big game changer that's, that's happening in here. And I want to see people, people like yourselves be able to take advantage of this big, online boom you know as david kind of just said like if that's the way the world's moving right now you have to be able to kind of see this uh this sort of train coming so how how can you stay competitive uh in a market like that and then i've also got another question that's going to kind of follow on about you know basically a global market of shipping too well let me shut you down real fast right now because the problem is is that the the legalities of shipping between states have nothing to do with whether UPS or FedEx will actually pick up the product from you and ship it for you. So, for example, it could be legal for us to ship spirits to New Hampshire. Doesn't mean FedEx is going to do it for us. Doesn't mean UPS is going to do it for us either, because they may have their own policies about shipping distilled spirits. And so you're really up against not only the policy of the state, but the policy of the shipper. So really, we just had to find a better shipping company, right? Bootleg. Bootleg. (laughs) It's going to be called Lewis and Dave's Bootleg Express. I'm down. Let's do it. Well, and the U.S. Postal Service has, has talked about getting into it, um, you know, but there's the government and it could take 30 years before they make a decision. But, um, you know, they need to make some money, too. Yeah, I'm not optimistic. Let's put it that way. <laughs> They'd probably break everything anyway. So, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely pessimistic and I'm looking for ways to to kind of bolster bolster our sales without relying on out-of-state shipping just because I find that. Um, you end up building customers and building sales that any day can be taken away from you and can just be removed instantly. So it's 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 already happened to us. It's happened to a number of other retailers. I'm sure you guys know of other kind of mid midland retailers who who one day could ship and the next day couldn't. And it it, it all has to do with that. Yep. Uh, and then, uh, so this is, this kind of goes in, this is actually a question that somebody else asked and, you know, this kind of goes into, you know, thinking across the, you know, just outside the U S we're talking global borders here because, uh, he, he put in, it said an example, a malt like spring break 20 or sorry, spring bake 21, uh, 700 ML, uh, you know, a master's of malt retails around 220 ish. Even if I bought that one bottle paid $40 for shipping on the one bottle, it's actually still cheaper than purchasing the 750 mil U S version for almost 400. So, 
it's almost like you have this other kind of global demand that that if people are smart enough, they could get around it and they wouldn't actually have to shop at your store. So it's another kind of thing where I think the the laws and the, the three-tier system are kind of putting you all at a big disadvantage as well. Yeah, I mean, that's true. The problem is, is that shipping that 700 milliliter bottle in from the UK is absolutely illegal. And so what will happen is if more people start doing that, just like more retailers in the United States started shipping alcohol, now they're cracking down as a result of that increased business. So if all of a sudden thousands of people start buying wine from overseas and shipping in 700 milliliter bottles, expect that expect that uh, passageway to be chopped off as well. So basically, the more people you tell about this, the more likely that it's going to come to an end sooner. All right, never mind. This is getting cut out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, just yeah. had no, I just had no idea that master that was actually illegal because you can go to their website and they can say, yeah, ship to US. I'll ship it to Indiana and I can have it delivered to this address. Fine, no problem, right? Absolutely. Go for you it. Buy, you can buy switchblades online too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you cannot you cannot send 700 milliliter bottles into the United States. And you can't ship spirits internationally either. I mean, again, this is about what you can get away with and and what's legal. And there's a lot of there's a lot of haziness. So we've we've talked a lot of gray area here. Let's let's talk about uh, future pastures. And I'll kind of put I'll put it to you first, Lewis. Uh, in a in an ideal world, and and so you could sell more volume online. Like, what is what is your ideal of, of how you want to see things change? Uh, whether we can get somebody to sit there and filibuster in front of the Senate for you or whatever it is, right? So like, what what can we do to, to make something that really uh, is able to help bring you even to a wider audience or do whatever it is to, to help your business succeed, succeed and grow? Well, I don't know. I don't know that you could do anything really. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's an organic word of mouth thing. Um, and, and as far as legally, you know, opening up all the states to some federal standard um, would obviously be huge. Um, I, I, I don't know what any individual or any group of individuals could do to, to really change things because you have the liquor lobbies in each state that are fighting to keep things the way they are or to restrict them further. Um, from my end, I would say, again, I'm kind of with Lewis here. I don't, the only thing that would, that would necessarily open up the market would be to kind of tear down interstate laws. But I, I don't think people understand what they're up against here. It's not even just the interstate or it's, there's nothing that can be done on the federal level um, other than like sweeping legislation that will never happen because it's not in anybody's interest to do that. There's literally the only interest it's in is in maybe the interest of the consumer. um, And uh, it's not in the interest of anybody who's, who's working in the industry to, to open up markets that are basically monopolized by people who have been, you know, monopolizing them for years. So again, I, I'm not optimistic. I would just say that it's nice to have desti- it's nice to have travel destinations. And I think that I know for KNL, I'm definitely trying to make us a travel destination for people that are visiting San Francisco, people that are visiting Los Angeles, people that are visiting Silicon Valley. You know, just if any of us if anybody goes to Kentucky, they're going to bring a couple bottles back in their suitcase. And I'm hoping that the people who come to visit the Bay Area and, and Los Angeles will will do the same thing with us. So, I mean, I guess you guys kind of look at it as, um, you know, maybe even just only being able to ship to a few states is, is actually more beneficial than anything. Because not only that, I mean, it could 
it could it, it actually opened the market up to a lot more competition than if, if that was something that where it was you know across blanket 50 50 states and anybody could ship anywhere then uh you're kind of competing with every liquor store in the country that could could get in you know the top five search results inside of google right right the limited the limited competition is definitely i mean we're we're a, a tiny little wart on the overall industries but we don't do you know we're, we're a tiny little shop um so the impact that we have globally is is pretty minuscule um now if you multiply that out by i don't know how many off sailors we have in minnesota and then multiply that out by the number of states it's it's huge <laughs> fortunately most most people in this industry um don't really have a technological a technological ability they're very old school in their in their style so um it's not something i'm terribly concerned about but <laughs> so i mean you would be concerned about it all of a sudden that people actually started bringing more of their their inventory online and started figuring well, that sure. figuring that out yeah but based on what I, i've seen to date anyway the the people that i talk to really don't know how to do that um, and they haven't, there are a few companies that will help you, but it's in a pretty limited fashion and, um, and it costs money and where's the payoff. I mean, there's, there, there are, there are barriers to entry and, and there are, um, limitations to the upside for people. So, yeah. and there's so, a lot of so we'll take that is that there's a, there's a barrier to entry. Um, and I mean, what would you say has been the biggest upside uh, of being able to have a, uh, an online inventory or something like that, that you could give as an advice to somebody else that says like, oh, maybe I want to invest the, I don't know whether it's a $50,000 investment, having an online inventory system and scanning and, you know, real time of inventory updates. Like you, like as if you go to Home Depot and you pull up the app and you're like, oh, okay, it's in aisle four, bay three and oh, there's my vodka or whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say anybody looking to get into this, get looking to get in, into retail now is going to have to look into delivery uh, with the like DoorDash model or something like that that allows you to get bottles quickly to people who need bottles. Um, because you're, people that are spending money, let's say on like a $1,000 bottle of Bordeaux or a $5,000 bottle of whiskey, uh, it used to be that there were people... Um, who were collecting these bottles who would come in, but you know, it's like people who are savvy collectors, uh, kind of like what Lewis was saying when I first joined the conversation, um, with the prices that have gone up and just, um, the, the, the difference in the market today versus where it was, let's say five to 10 years ago, the people that are spending money on bottles now, they're like out, they're out at a bar, they're out at a party, they're out at a club, they're at a hotel room, they're at a corporate event. They're already drunk. <laughs> and they say, oh, if I'll do this, spend five grand on a bottle of, you know, whatever. If you can get them that bottle in that moment, I mean, that's, that's in invaluable. Um, if you can have a retail store that between the hours of 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. in L.A. can get every drunk guy who wants to throw down $1,000 for something, you know, that bottle, you know, you're, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars that can be made on any given night. So I think that's an area of, I think, um, uh, somewhat party planning, somewhat DoorDash delivery service that I think you're going to see a lot, of, a lot of major retailers start to think about rolling out. I consider that uh, if I'm spending $1,000 at, at like 2 a.m. in L.A., I, that's a life goal for me. That's, what that <laughs> <is>. <laughs> that's the whole city of Los Angeles, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so fellas, I want to end on that note. I want to say thank you again for coming on the show today. I want to let you uh, give one more plug for your stores and say, you know, where they can find uh, more about them, where they can shop online. Um, and, you know, where can they visit you in the store and how can get more information or contact with you, anything like that? Uh, Lewis, I'll let you go first. Yeah, cool. Uh, aspirits.com, uh, you know, huge online whiskey selection, uh, online whiskey retail of the year this year. We're at uh, www.aspirits.com and there's a contact form on there. Anyone can contact me anytime. I'm the guy that gets all the emails. So. One stop shop for you right there, right? It's all yeah. <laughs> and David. Yeah, I'm David Driscoll, and uh, you can find myself or my partner in the Spirits Department, David Othen and Gerard, uh, klwines.com. Uh, I write the Spirits Journal, spiritsjournal.klwines.com. Um, I guess that's it. You can track track me down. I'm usually running around somewhere. I'm on the road, but I'm always, like I said, I'm plugged into email. So uh, wherever I am, you can find me. Well, awesome. Thanks again, fellas. And if make sure if you are not doing it already, you follow Bourbon Pursuit on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bourbon Pursuit. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. Help support the show, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever it is to help keep this thing rolling and bring on continual good guests like these guys and uh, have them share their stories and their passions. And uh, maybe one day together, we'll we'll take all this Patreon money and we'll we'll lobby against the three tier system together. Right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing. But uh, thank you again, fellas, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you.